Welcome back to another episode of Coffee with Kareem. Uh, first of all, I just wanted to say thank you for all our listeners, subscribers, people who leave us reviews. We love that. Uh, visit coffeewithkareem.com. Take the survey. We love to hear your suggestions, your requests, your questions. And uh, yeah, let's interact. This is all about you out there. So here's my plan for today's show. I want to look at a lot of the myths and um, fantasies, if you will, that I find a lot of people carry uh, from all my relationship work over the years. So I kind of collected some central myths that I would like to deconstruct today because everyone, you know, you, you always, everyone out there has a friend who's like, I want to get married. Why aren't I getting married? What's going on? Somebody is in some sort of a crisis about getting married. So this is really advice for people before marriage. And subhanAllah, some of the stories I hear uh, of how people got married, it's just, it's no shocker that they're having marital issues. And oftentimes in our cultures, you know, Muslim cultures, we love, you know, food and, and, and nice gatherings. And I think that's great. And the wedding day is a huge deal in our cultures. And we spend a lot of time and energy and money planning the wedding, but we don't spend a dime investing in the actual relationship which I find fascinating. People have spent more time planning the wedding than actually getting to know each other before they decided to get married. SubhanAllah. So this is, you know, hopefully some reminders, a wake-up call for people out there. And I hope that those of you who aren't married um, can really benefit from this so you don't fall into a lot of the same mistakes that many brothers and sisters out there have done and keep doing. So may this reach you all in peace. Amen. I want to discuss the myth versus the reality of five dimensions. And under each dimension, I'm just going to share three insights or reflections that hopefully will help everybody. So these are the five dimensions that I want to cover, which are really important. And it's always a part of everybody's uh, courtship process. First one is love. Second, personality. Number three is timing. Four, family. And five, religion. Okay? So under each of those, I'm going to share three points. Let's start with love. Very common myth or construct that people carry is, quote, I want to fall in love. All right. First of all, you grow into love with time, healthy interactions, and maturity. Love is not something you find or fall into. What we feel at first for most people tends to be lust or, yeah, sure, maybe an attraction or a connection to that person. I mean, I believe that, you know, souls can feel comfortable with each other and it's like, oh man, I feel like I've known you forever. But this can happen with, with the same gender or the opposite gender. But real love takes time, ladies and gentlemen. It really does take time. And those of us who have, you know, healthy marriages that have lasted for a while, you probably know this better than anyone else. You know, love can certainly grows. And the more time you have with someone... Uh, you know, given that it's a positive experience with each other, the love grows. And it also takes different form and shape, doesn't it? It doesn't stay the same. The way you love somebody changes too. So this idea of wanting to fall in love, I don't think this is realistic. And we got to stop, you know, downloading all these Hollywood, Bollywood um, themes and narratives into our head because, it, wallahi, it's causing a lot of damage for people. And in the end, they're the ones that psycho-emotionally suffer. Think about love more like a muscle or a plant. Uh, it continuously needs attention, nurturing, and care to thrive. 
don't expect love to exist unconditionally, okay? Many people say this, like, oh, I was in love for that first year or two, but I don't think I'm in love with anymore. Because it's almost like they thought this love, pink, uh, sparkly pixie dust was always going to be floating around their auras or whatever you want to call it. You know, the love flame burns as much as you put wood into it. I mean, nobody sits around a campfire and asks, you know, when the fire goes down and there's only embers left, you know, what's wrong with the fire? You know, everyone knows that you put more wood in it to keep it going. That's the only way you keep the warmth and the light going. Similarly, love has to be nurtured. Um, And if you think about it like a muscle, muscles need exercise. Muscles need nutrients. Muscles need hydration. Muscles also need rest. And sometimes that's exactly what love needs. If you think about love like a plant, um, something grows. It takes time. But plants don't grow if you just stick them in the closet. There's necessary properties and elements that a plant needs to survive and thrive. So it needs sunlight. It needs warmth. It needs guidance. It needs perception. This is all light. It needs water. Water is the life force. It is what makes everything clean. You got to clean up your relationship from negative patterns and and criticisms and resentments. Otherwise, the plant's not going to grow. And don't expect any fruits. And don't expect to be able to make an apple pie because you're not going to get any fruits from that kind of tree that doesn't get the right nurturing and love. The second construct under this category of love is, I want love at first sight. Oh, you're so cute. Unlikely. Because love is not based on just lust or looks, but a deeper awareness and acceptance of the human being with all their good and flaws. You admire and validate the person's good. You accept their flaws and care to help them improve. That's when you know you really love somebody. When you want to be with them in their imperfection. Because the things that are great about them are so beautiful and wonderful to you that you are willing to live with the things that aren't. And nobody is perfect, ladies and gentlemen. Nobody is perfect. So you truly love once you have experienced the good and bad times in life with your partner. That's when you know this is like the real deal. Often young couples, they get married and as soon as they hit the wall with conflict or, oh, they got angry. I mean, people throw around the divorce card like it's, you know, nothing. Every time you upset me, oh, I'm going to divorce you. Every time, you know, you have a voice or you speak up about something I did that bothers you, oh, I'm going to divorce you. What's up? What's going on with people? Come on. Where's our taqwa? Where's our patience? Where is our, our real spirituality that recognizes you have to engage with these aspects of the human experience, like being hurt, like being misunderstood and doing something about it? You can't just punch out every time something bothers you and you're uncomfortable. I mean, at that point, you know, why are you in a relationship in the first place if you can't take a little heat? Everybody wants the light of of the fire of love, but nobody wants to feel the heat. I mean, if you're not ready for the heat, then you're not ready for, for love because love ain't always pretty. And guess what? The more you love somebody, the more painful it is when they hurt you, which is why it's really important to talk about those things and address those things from the beginning. And of course, a lot of this advice has, has to do with people who are married now. So I want love at first sight. Well, if you feel drawn or attracted to one's looks and energy, sure, this could be a pull of interest, but it's not the same as love, okay? Often people fall in love with a fantasy or image they have of a person that suits their wishes and desires. And once this bubble pops, 
through actual experiences, people tend to assume they're not in love anymore. So is this being re- is this really being in love with the person or is it being in love only when love is convenient, only when it feels good all the time? Is you really falling in love with the person as they are or did you just fall in love with the fantasy you had in your head about them because, you know, you're projecting all this uh all these needs and desires for the perfect mate and this person, this woman or man kind of fits the bill and and you just sit there and fantasize about, oh, how wonderful they are and I can't believe they're going to do all these things for me and then they're going to do this and that. And then you realize, you know, hey, they might have anger issues or a pornography addiction or she's got daddy issues or this person doesn't know how to be impatient or whatever. And all of a sudden, oh, no, 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 I don't want to, I'm not in love with you anymore. I don't want to do this. So you're not really marrying the person with all that they are. Right, And this is why it's so important, people, to take your time to get to know each other. I knew a sister once who thought she was in love. And basically, after one month, they wanted to get married. And they wanted me to do the marriage ceremony for them. I said, listen, you know, respectfully. And these guys were like in their 30s, by the way. They weren't like kids. I said, listen, you know, the only way I'd be open to that is if you guys do at least six months of premarital counseling. That's the only way. And at first they were like, no, we want to get married. And and, this. and of course, you know, they're older. They both have gone through their own relationships and, you know, they have the human needs and they just wanted to get, you know, to it. Like, why, why stop us? Right. I'm like, okay, but trust me, you know, it's best if you take time. And if you guys really love each other, alhamdulillah, be patient for six months. You'll spend the rest of your lives together happy if this is really meant to be. Wallah al-Azim, after two sessions... The one of these individuals, their true colors came out. And it turned out that this person was really uh, insincere and cruel. And they ended up saying some very disrespectful stuff to us because the one of the individuals uh, in this in this session, they actually br- said they wanted to pr- you know postpone the marriage and uh, and take time to do the counseling. The other person was under the impression that, oh, we're going to get married after like three sessions. You know, like, yeah, yeah, I'll I'll say I'll do it for six months. But in reality, I just want to get it done right away. So then once, you know, the other person said, listen, I want to, you know, slow everything down and let's take six months. The other person just flipped. I'm like, wow, alhamdulillah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shows the truth. And they ended it that day. Imagine. So up until, you know, a certain time of that day, they thought they were in love and they were going to do this. And within an hour... Their whole, everything changed. Imagine the implications of people making decisions from a place that is, you know, immature and impatient. You can ruin lives and families. So, you know, that's a real story, subhanAllah. Construct number three under love. I have one true soulmate out there. All right, again, you know, you live on earth, not in the world of Hollywood or Bollywood. I personally don't believe there is a such thing as one perfect soulmate out there. I just don't. I think this is a fantasy. Um, because imagine if you're if they're if that's true, then you're one perfect soulmate. What if they live in any part of the planet? So that means like, oh, I guess the reason why I never got married is because my perfect soulmate lives in China, and I never knew that because I've never left you know where I live. I mean, this doesn't make any sense. So I think a healthier way to see this is look. There are many people out there that could be great matches for you, okay? And it's just a matter of which one you run into, 
really. I mean, it's like different flavors, like strawberries and cream, you know, oranges and cream, or peanut butter and jelly. There's all kinds of combinations that when you come in contact with another person, you guys can make a delicious dish, so to speak. But they're all going to be different flavors and different textures, just like, you know, different types of desserts and, and cuisines, etc. So there's no such thing as saying like, it's like saying there's only one perfect dinner that I can have every day for the rest of my life kind of thing, you know, one perfect person. Look, this is also a reason why many people dismiss good candidates in hopes of having someone better or more perfect or I don't know if they're my true soulmate. I've met people that have put, you know, turned down four or five candidates. Now they're in their, you know, late 30s, early 40s, and they're like, "How? oh, no nasib. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't give me nasib. It's like, subhanAllah, you had five people come to your door and you spent months getting to know all of them and you, you know, for whatever reason, thought that there was something better out there or I don't want to settle because my true soulmate doesn't feel like my true soulmate. So this is why it's really important to reflect on your frame of reference, your definition, ideas about love and romance and all this stuff. You really got to go back to the drawing board and recognize that television shows and films and stories and things, you have to ask yourself, where is the narrative coming from? Where is the narrative coming from? And how real is that narrative? Because even people in Hollywood know half of the stuff they do is not even real. It's all sensationalized just for the audience to be hooked and to keep paying, you know, 15 bucks for a movie ticket. Man, I remember when I was like 12 and movie tickets were like 575. Man, good old days. Anyways, so I have one true soulmate out there. There are many people you are likely compatible with in the world. It's really just a matter of which of them you cross paths with and take the time to explore with maturity and patience whether or not there's a connection. So be more mature and balanced with your notions of destined soulmates because it really may cause you to miss out on really good people and candidates that you, didn't just, you just didn't give them enough time. And sometimes it's superficial stuff, right? Like, oh, you know, his ears are too big or, you know, she's too short or I wish I, I've always imagined myself with someone with blue eyes, right? It's like, okay, well, get over it because guess what? The world isn't here to cater to your little fantasies, right? And marriage is a blessing, it's not an obligation, and nobody is entitled to get married. So think about that and take a step back. Section 2, Personality, Myth versus Reality. First construct is, I can change them. Oh my God, I hear people say this all the time, like, oh, I thought I could change them. Specifically when I speak to individuals who, let's say one was, you know, more devout and serious about their path uh, of Islam. And they marry someone who just really wasn't really on it, you know? And they were like, oh, I thought I could change them. Or I thought one day they will come to this. Unlikely. We all know it is so difficult to change yourself. So how can you expect to change someone else, really? Never marry someone for their potential qualities. But marry someone as they are today for the most part. That is a smart investment right there. You don't want to ever do a risky investment when it comes to marriage. If I told you that I have a franchise building and there's a 20% chance that you will get your money back and be successful, nobody would write me a check. Nobody. But if I told you 80% chance, you're going to feel probably a lot more secure about that. And that's exactly how I have to approach marriage prospects. You marry someone who has 70 or 80% of the qualities that you really feel are important and are compatible with you 
And you have to ask yourself if you're willing to work with that 20 or 30% that isn't. But you can't go in on an investment where it is very low um, chances of return. You have very high risk. And I certainly would encourage people not to go in when it's 50-50 either. You know, like, oh, five things out of my top 10 needs, they, they have five, but the other five is just completely absent, right? That's also very risky. You, this whole 50-50 percentage is, is difficult too. And I know, you know, some people are thinking, oh, that's so rude. You shouldn't like talk about people as like percentages and this and that. But no, you know, let's get real here. Everyone has, you know, a set of needs, a set of things that they look for. And it's important to make lists and charts and compare and contrast, really. Because again, this is not a joke. If you're going to go shopping for a car or a house or even a pair of shoes or a purse or a video game system, a television, most smart people are going to do research and compare the products with their properties and the prices and the companies and the guarantee and, and the insurance and you name it. How come when it comes to marrying someone, we just, you know, Bismillah, Allahu Akbar, you know, oh, they're the same culture as me and their parents are doctors and I'm, you know, and then we, and they're fair skinned and let's just do this. You know, it's like, what are we thinking? This is your life. This is the future of lives and potentially children who have an amana on you. you. Your children have rights on you. So you have to think about that. You can't just, you know, it's not like buying a purse or, or you know, signing up for a gym. I don't like it anymore. I'm just going to, you know, cancel my subscription. It doesn't work that way. So most people become more of who they already are with some adjustment and changes, right? I'm not saying people are static. I do believe that you're, you're constantly evolving, okay? But we all know what I mean by this. There are core traits to people, right? You know, there's always core traits to people, the building blocks of their personality, and those constitute, you know, the core of who they are. And that's what I mean by core traits. That's the stuff that you have to make the decision on, not the potential stuff, okay? Thus, you should be realistic about the risk factor, and don't take too many chances with fundamental flaws you feel exist with that person today. I'm sorry, but if they're not very religious and their family isn't religious, don't expect them to become religious. You know, it's a very small percentage that's going to happen. If you're somebody who, as an extrovert, you love going out and socializing and you want to marry someone who is also very social and wants to, you know, she, they enjoy being with people, don't marry an introvert because an introvert is probably not going to want to go out with you all the time and they're going to want to stay home. Now, if that's what you're looking for, fine. So this is what I mean by being realistic with the core traits that people have. And the potential is always stuff that can only increase by, you know, let's say 10 to 25%. So please consider that when you think about assessing core traits and potential traits. Construct number two under personality, arranged marriages don't work. You know, I think, you know, a lot of Westerners and, and especially Western Muslims, you know, this idea might really turn them off. And by Allah, I have seen horror stories. By Allah, I've seen horror stories. And guess what? I've also seen situations where it worked out wonderful. So it actually all depends on how it is arranged. In some cases, it can be oppressive and forceful. For instance, if you feel like you don't have a choice, you know, your parents weaponize guilt to make you marry the person they want, uh, and your family is, you know, threatening you to marry, you know, a certain person, or they make you do it, you know, too soon, that's not good. 
right? Um, of course, that's that's not good. But sometimes arranged marriages can be really helpful due to cultural compatibility of family values. Um, there are certain marriages, uh, arranged marriages, that are successful and experience true love. So make sure you have enough time to explore your dynamic with this person before you make any decisions. And you know what? If you've got a whole, you know, army of people that you could meet because your family has, you know, uh, relatives and networks and they're they're bringing, you know, people over to the home for you to meet them, that's great. That saves you a lot of time and work and energy than needing to go out on your own and do it or to go online. And we know that that can get wicked creepy too. So arranged marriages don't aren't always a bad thing. All right, so let's be open to that. But it's how they're arranged. And I think people have enough common sense to know when they're being oppressed or forced into something. And by Allah, nobody should force you into a marriage. Nobody should force you into a marriage. Construct number three under personality. I can't find anyone good out there. I can't find anyone good out there. I hear this a lot. All right. Well, this is like the same thing as saying you are the only good option out there. I mean, come on, let's be a little humble. Uh, there are good people out there, but sometimes our unrealistic expectations, our fears, our approaches of how we meet people is the problem. Sometimes we're just fishing in the wrong pond, right? Like, let's say you're from a certain background and just the guys from your culture just don't click with you or the ladies from your culture don't click with you. Okay, so check out some different pawns. Ex expand your radius. Oh, but my parents won't allow you to marry anyone except for this. Okay, then if your parents are still dictating who you're allowed to marry, then you're not an adult yet. You probably shouldn't be getting married. Now, this doesn't mean you don't take your parents' advice and listen to them. But again, it's you're the one that's going to eat it. You're the one that's going to live with this person. For the rest of your life so you better have a say in who you're going to marry and if you're willing to be open to somebody outside of your culture then you need to have enough you know wisdom and intelligence and grounding in yourself to make your case so that your parents can expand their mind now sometimes you know i can't find anyone good out there sometimes subhanallah it's just a matter of it's just not your time now remember um Maybe you still have healing to do first. And this is something very common. People get married to escape their past wounds or, or pain. And that's not smart. And sometimes Allah subhanahu wa doesn't bless you with marriage because you still have some work to do. And we can't expect that, you know, we all live this, you know, this fantasy checklist like okay inshallah you know once i graduate high school i'm gonna get into the college of my dreams and i'm gonna have like awesome like time in college and then when i'm done college i'm gonna like marry the man of my dreams and one two three four everything's gonna happen you know the way i i wrote it down in my journal it's like no that's not how life works sometimes you thought you would be married at 25 or that's what you planned and you ended up getting married at 36 you know, sometimes you thought you would have your first beautiful child at age 22 and you ended up not having your first kid till you're 40. Yani, subhanallah. So you're not in control. And instead of being uh, depressed and, and, and uh, upset that things didn't happen the way you wanted, just the way you wanted to, maybe you should also step back and, and think about how attached you are to specific outcomes of things because you don't control reality. That's why, you know, you're, that's why there is this idea of letting go and letting God, surrendering to the divine will. Now, this has nothing to do with not being proactive. You always have to do your part. But you can't control everything. So I can't find anyone good out there. 
Remember, there's a difference between marrying a good person on paper, according to certain cultural standards, and marrying someone that is actually good for you. And sometimes when we say, I can't find anyone good out there, it's because we can't find someone who's good enough based on the expectations that we have on paper, right? Oh, he's not a doctor, so I'm sorry, you're out. Even though you're smart, you're sweet, you have a good character, you know, you have a good soul, uh, you are an engineer, but you're not a doctor. So I'm sorry, goodbye, you know, please uh, grab a samosa on the way out, and thank you very much. That happens too. And sometimes we marry someone that just looks good on paper, based on all the family and, and cultural standards, but we actually don't have anything in common with them other than we share the same culture. So you also have to be real about what's good for you. And the only way you can do that is if you have healthy self-awareness and healthy healing of your past wounds, whatever they may be. And everyone has the responsibility to improve themselves, love themselves, care for themselves before they ever consider being with another person. Because if you don't love yourself or care for yourself or understand yourself, then don't expect someone else to. And don't expect that you'll be able to do that for another either. Section 3. Timing. Very common myth I hear. Let's get married as soon as possible. Okay, one of the top reasons for marital conflicts from people who have sat on my couch and I've spoken to from you know all over the country and all over the world, couples did not have enough time to get to know each other thoroughly before the marriage. You could damage several lives when this belief is unhealthy and imbalanced, i.e., let's get married as soon as possible. No, don't get married as soon as possible. Well, what will the people say? Well, are the people going to be there when you're getting divorced in court and your kids are crying because mommy and daddy didn't take more than a month to get to know each other before they decided to make this lifelong decision, right? Oh, well, I've been getting to know them and I feel like it's not, you know, going to be, I really just feel in my gut I shouldn't be with this person, but everyone's telling me just do it, get married right away. Again, who is everybody? And guess what? When it comes to your dilemmas and your problems, most of those everybody won't even be around. They won't even ask about you. They'll just say stuff like, oh, get, you'll get through it. Or, oh, yeah, that's the way marriage is supposed to be. It's supposed to be, you know, hell. It's like, no, it's not. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says you get married and you experience mawaddatan wa rahmah, love and mercy, tranquility. These are the things that you feel in a healthy marriage. Now, let's get married as soon as possible is not always healthy. In fact, most of the time, I would, I would, I would say don't do that. While it's not always safe to drag out courtship or engagement, sure, I get that, but rushing into a marriage due to pressure of fear of what people will think is just totally, you know, unwise, totally unwise. And any force to get married without being ready is wrong. So I don't care if it's your parents or your, your imam or community, nobody should be pushing you to do something, especially like marriage when you're not ready or you don't feel like you have enough data to know, okay? Even your own parents. So may Allah, you know, guide our families because sometimes it's the parents that are oppressing the people uh, or there's children in this way. Myth number two under timing. I need to get married to have halal sex. It's a, it's a real thing. You know, there are people like, man, I need to get married right away. How much longer am I going to fast, be abstinent, whatever it is? Like, 
that's sometimes, uh, you know, something that makes the clock uh, spin for a lot of people, sure. But listen, those who are really committed to modesty see marriage as their halal outlet for a natural need. Totally understand that. And, and sex is a wonderful, beautiful thing. You're supposed to enjoy it within the proper parameters, sure. But while this is true, attraction and sexuality is only one slice of the marital pie, ladies and gentlemen. Don't rush into marriage just for sex. And especially the guys out there, you know, sometimes we marry someone because, oh my God, she's so hot. So this is not wise because once again, that's all fleeting. And let me, let me give you some data here. Why sex should not be the only or heaviest variable for your decision? Well, let's do the math. Let's say you have sex five times a week, which is considered very active, totaling about five hours a week, let's say, okay? How many hours a week are there? Uh, how many hours are there in a total week? 168 hours. Five hours of sex a week divided by 168 hours equals 0.03%. Ah, you end up spending 99% of the time doing a lot of other things like communicating, serving each other, cleaning up, taking out the trash, right? Re responding to calls and text messages, asking about their family, talking about them, cooking, this, that. Marriage is a lot more than just having sex. So don't make that the main reason why you marry anybody. Number three under timing. If I don't get married now, I never will. Do not rush into whatever you can get as soon as you can get it. Be careful of marrying out of fear that there will be no other chances. Trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Be open to him and his will for you. Be selective. Okay, sure, be selective, but not too picky. Take proper time, yet don't dismiss every suitor because they don't seem perfect. An excellent suitor, in my opinion, should meet, you know, seven or eight out of your total top ten needs, and vice versa. You also have to meet the needs for them. And this is very important, too, because... I talk to people about getting married and I'm like, okay, well, you know, tell me more about the type of partner you, you, you feel would be right for you. And then they just basically describe themselves in a, you know, female or male version. It's like, okay, so you just want to marry. I want someone who basically likes everything I like and does everything I like. Okay, so what are you bringing to the table, right? Or sometimes we see marriage as, you know, um, everything that I'm going to get out of it, like I'm going to feel so special, they're going to be calling me, I'm going to walk around holding you know, their hand and I get to show off my ring and this and that. It's like, what do you bring into the table? Don't look at marriage as a person that you're going to utilize and harness just for your own ego and you know, repertoire and Facebook pictures or, or what have you. You have to remember also not only what am I looking for in a partner, but what do I actually have to give? to a partner. And wallahi, one of the secrets of healthy marriages is that when each partner prioritizes the other person's needs. Subhanallah. So you have to be aware of what this person needs because if both of you are always serving each other, I mean, why is marriage half of your deen? Because if you two are serving each other and building service, adoration, that is actually a training ground for your devotion to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because it's the same thing. The divine relationship also requires you to serve and to obey and to love and to adore the Creator. And that's exactly what helps any marriage succeed too. What you thought you were as a person, everything now gets checked, gets assessed, and gets you know built or broken down 
when you get married. Oh, I'm so patient, mashallah. I'm so generous, mashallah. I'm so knowledgeable, mashallah. I'm so understanding, mashallah. Oh, great. Well, imagine when you're living with a person that you don't know as well as you think you know yourself. And every single day, they see you wake up. They smell your bad breath. They know how you look before you do your hair or take a shower or shave. They deal with you day to day. And they see everything about you more than anybody else. Now, you understand if you're really patient, right? When they upset you. How patient are you? When they ask you for stuff or they need your time or money or whatever, really, how generous are you? So half of your deen is also about taking the qualities that you thought you had and refining them as well as a wake-up call for the things that you thought you possessed and turns out you never really did. And that's part of my understanding of why marriage is half of your deen because it creates for you a whole new simulation and training ground to truly cultivate, purify, and transform yourself in a way that you never could if you aren't married. Now, this doesn't, this doesn't mean that people who aren't married can never achieve you know, high status uh, as a human being or, or with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I'm not saying that, but it's certainly a very different ballgame. Certainly a very different ballgame. Next, the family section. I need to get married to escape my home. Look, if you live in a dissatisfying home and can't wait to move out, Sometimes marriage seems like the escape plan. I get that, especially when it's tough. But running away from issues is not always the solution. In fact, it usually never is. Be careful of making these snappy or drastic decisions to get married because if you conflate marriage as a way to get out of your home, then this is also going to fog your decision of who you're going to marry because all you're thinking about is, I need to get out of here. That you end up marrying somebody who may actually treat you even worse than the very place that you tried to escape from. So I need to get married to escape my home is never a smart thing. And uh, please, you know, brothers and sisters out there who, you know, this is what you're thinking right now, it usually doesn't end up well. Next, I can only marry someone my parents approve of. Ideally, we want our family to be happy with our choice. I totally understand that. But it should not be at the expense of our own truth and reality in existential context. If you just, you know, marry someone that your parents approve of, but in you don't, then what good is that? Really? You're the one that will spend your life with this person long after your parents are gone. And you're the one that's going to have to put up with this person uh, and all of the issues that may come up because there is no compatibility. So consider the reasons why your parents don't approve of, let's say, the person you like, or why they do approve this person and you don't. You got to think about those things. Are the reasons logical? Um, are they based on experiences or unfounded fear? Are the reasons in harmony with Islamic values or contrary to them? Because this whole idea of I'm just doing it for my parents to make them happy, you're not this bar. You're not this product that can be sold and bought. And, you know, sometimes it feels like that for people. Like, you know, you're buying my daughter. You know, this is how much it costs, the mahar, and I'm going to give you hell until I get all of it or this or that, or you have to do... I mean, sometimes our families make it more about them than the actual couple. And that's really sad. And I know it's a you know situation for a lot of people out there. You know, may Allah make it easy on you. And I'm hoping that... With time, you know, the next coming generations, you know, rooted in, in, in proper truth and understanding of our tradition, we're going to start breaking these types of chains because 
Wallahi, it causes a lot of damage. Next under family. I like the person, but not their family, or their family does not like me. So many people complain about this. You know, why don't their parents love me or like me? Or how come they never talk to my family or whatever? All the in-law problems. Now, issues with in-laws is a real thing for many. And you have to know any warning signs from the beginning of courtship. You really do. And again, this goes back to, you know, the earlier construct of I can change them. You also can't change people's families. Don't don't think you can do that. You're going to have to also be really honest with yourself about the vibe and what it feels like to sit at the dinner table with them, how they talk to you, how they look at you. And if you're not feeling like it's respectful, it's sincere, it's genuine, then you got to you got to trust your gut. You do. Make sure you voice your concerns and examine um, how your partner supports you or not through certain issues that come up during this, this premarital phase. You have to, because that's going to also tell you a lot about their family, what your partner, potential partner's like, and most likely what these issues are going to look like in the long term and what's going to keep you know coming your way. And one of the top reasons for divorce amongst Muslims is due to the issue with the in-laws. Now, this is understandable because many of our cultures are collective and, you know, family is important and, you know, there is this strong communitarian uh, aspect to it. But this is not, um, this is certainly not a variable to ignore when assessing your future choice. You can't just also, you know, be like, well, I love the person, but I really can't stand their family. Well, guess what? You know, unless you're going to live on the other side of the planet, you're going to have to, um, you're going to have to be honest about how you feel about people's families because you're going to be expected to go to dinners, you know, spend holidays together, uh, maybe even do other things. And if you can't stand them or you feel like there's all this resentment, that's not a smart place to start off any relationship from. So you have to be honest with yourself about what you're willing and not willing to live with. Or else you're the one that's going to eat it. You're the one that's going to suffer. Don't expect too many people to play the violin for you after that. The last section of my premarital myth versus reality uh, sharing is on the deen or religion. One construct I often hear is, I want someone who is religious. Alhamdulillah, that's awesome. But remember, being religious, in quotes, means very different things to all of us. It is important to probe whoever you're getting to know's religious practice and spiritual values. Okay, and guess what? Surface performance of religious rites is not always the same thing as being a good person or a marriage partner. There are people that appear to be good Muslims, but they fail at being a good spouse. Okay, and I know this firsthand. People, mashallah, you know, they have all the Islamic costumes, they perform all the religious rites, but when it comes to what happens with their human relationships, with their family, their wives, whole other story. But that person at the masjid is revered and always smiling. Oh, mashallah, and this and that. But, you know, when it comes to the human science aspect of it, it's just not there. So it's not always about being just religious. It's also about their character, of course, how they treat you, how you see them treat others. So someone who prays five times a day and has a beard, I'm going to pick on the brothers, and has a beard and, um, you know, mashallah, he volunteers at the mosque. But when you go out to a restaurant with him, he's rude. You know, he, he's arrogant to the waiters and waitresses. You see how he throws trash on the ground when he, you know, eats stuff walking out, outside. You know, he doesn't care about parking uh, in the right place. These are all things that you have to, that's part of being a good Muslim, 
you know? It's not just about do I fulfill this communitarian social repertoire and symbolism of what it means to be Muslim? No, you have to look deeper. So, for instance, instead of asking a person you're getting to know if they pray, like, oh, mashallah, do you pray? Yes, alhamdulillah, I pray five times a day. Oh, mashallah, okay, check, religion box checked off. <laughs> Subhanallah, no. You have to ask them, instead of asking, you know, do they pray only, you should also ask, why do you pray? And have you ever missed prayers? What does it mean to you to pray? If God doesn't need your prayer, why do you pray? Instead of assuming a hijab or a beard means they are pious, observe their character, their way of thinking, how they relate to people, how they act out in public, okay? How they are with your friends, how they are with strangers, their neighbors. This is why you need time to get to know people because you can't figure all that stuff out through text messages, or um, you know, online you know, uh, conversations with somebody on the other side of the planet. You're not going to know any of that stuff. You're not even going to know what their manners are at the table. So please, don't marry people that you haven't met. It's very risky. Now, sure, some people might you know, submit a comment and be like, Brother Kareem, I met my husband in this country and we never met and alhamdulillah, we're fine. Okay, that's great. That's an exception to the rule. But generally, it's not that pretty. So you need to ask yourself... You know, is their religious engagement superficial? Is it just cultural? Or is it conscious? How do they deal with conflict? Um, How do they deal with tough times? This reveals a lot about a person. What do they do when you offer them some, some, some helpful feedback about improving something about them? Do they get defensive and angry and yell at you and tell you, oh, this is over, I'm not gonna do this, you know? Or do they actually be humble and go, hey, thank you. You know, I've heard that before. I, I I know I should probably work on that. This is these are the the signposts of a healthy and and good person. It's not just about the religious uh, rituals they perform. Now, on the other hand, if religion is important to you, um, you also need to make sure that marrying someone who has all that wonderful inner you know inner qualities and good character, but let's say they're not interested in in religion in uh, in the uh, in the exterior form, then you also have a similar issue. So you have to be very honest about what you need and what you're looking for and what you'd like to continue to grow with with this person, and make sure that they line up as much as possible with you. The other construct under religion is: is it religiously appropriate to ask about their past? Now, you know, again, people ask this a lot. My opinion is, yes, it is, but only if you're okay with it too. So it's not cool for me to go, hey, have you had a you know boyfriend before? Have you had a girlfriend? Have you ever had sex? Are you a virgin? And then they ask you and you're like, oh, I'm not going to talk about that. That's none of your business. Or you outright lie, right? And sure, maybe people, you know, people do lie about this stuff. But you know what? In the end of the day, past mistakes um, doesn't always mean they are spoiled goods. Uh, it is also disrespectful to probe someone's past without a healthy intention. And if you really, again, if you really have taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you have to ask yourself why you're asking people about their past. You know, is it because you want more, you know, dirt on them or you're trying to find this stuff out? And then, subhanAllah, some people use what they learn during the courtship process and manipulate and blackmail people later. And those people are, you know, that's, you're not in good shape when it comes to karma police. So you better be very careful. So you have to have niya intention and sincerity and yes some people lie about their past habits to look more impressive but knowing about somebody's past is not the only way to discover the layers of of who they are 
how they are today tells you a lot about what they were like in the past too. And this is why, as I said in the previous point, it's very important to interact with them, observe their interactions and dynamics with others, because that's going to tell you a lot about people. And I've met people, mashallah, they're like angels. And you get to know them more, you know, and you realize, wow, they lived a very um, difficult life in the past, right? Sometimes they've gone through a lot of oppression and trauma and abuse themselves. Sometimes they were the ones that did it. You know, like, Akhi, you, you wouldn't imagine the kind of stuff I did to people in the past. And I'm like, subhanAllah, well, you really did the work, the inner work, because you're full of nur and you're just such a beautiful human being. And I can't even imagine that type of person that you're claiming you were in the past. So there are people that really do transform and make tawbah. And it's as if none of that was part of their account. And inshallah, it won't be. So this is also true. So just because people may have made mistakes in the past doesn't mean they're spoiled goods. And if people lie about their past, I guarantee you Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will expose them at some point for you. You you trust in that because he al-haq. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the truth and the truth always comes out. So pay attention to inconsistencies in people's narratives, right? You get to know somebody and like, you know, some people call me up for premarital counseling like hey, you know i don't know about this guy you know he's it seems like he lies a lot i'm like oh, well what's your proof I'm like oh he's always inconsistent about what he says and it's not so yeah pay attention to how people talk what they talk about you know verify facts verify facts don't be naive and in this bubble and oh i'm so in love and everything's perfect no people are people and sometimes they're not always what they appear to be and that's why you need to take time to be able to explore the layers beyond you know the best face that we all put on right? Especially when in courtship. Now, it's also very important, never share too much about your own past or your own self, because there are people out there that unfortunately don't have good intentions and they will use it against you or hang your dirty laundry. So be very cautious. And I would certainly encourage not getting into these past discussions with people unless it's a real serious thing. And by serious, I mean, you know, you know, there's their parents are involved, the family's involved, they're aware of what's going on. There's, you know, expectations for dates being set or there's already, you're already engaged and it's just a matter of doing your nikah. That's when you start talking about the past. Not the first conversation you talk to someone. Are you a virgin? Oh, have you ever drank alcohol? You know, it's like, excuse me, I don't even know your last name. So let's take a step back here. The last construct under religion is what parameters should I have when getting to know someone? I'll give you three simple things. Remember these three Islamic boundaries. Number one, do not be alone with them. Really, you have to be very careful. And I know some of us who grew up in the West, it's like, oh, that's just like not going to happen. It's too hard. And, this and that. it's like, okay, fine. But know that you're running the risk of falling into temptations and sins more likely than people who don't spend time alone with each other. All right? Now, this doesn't mean you have to be at their home with their dad and uncle breathing down your neck, right? I would like to offer this idea of how about group dating? You know, I want to get to know Mary. She wants to get to know uh, Mike. And let's go out bowling. And I'm going to bring my cousin. You bring your sister. Yay. You know, we're, we're out in a group. Or if you share, you know, you're all friends at your Muslim student association at college, you know, always be in a group. And always make sure that, you know, the uh, everybody goes home with their respective parties. 
So this is what I mean by do not be alone with somebody. And of, of course, the rest is clear, right? This clearly doesn't mean you can go to someone's dorm room by, by yourself, etc. So that's number one rule. Number two, when you interact with the opposite gender, whether it's in person, uh, through text messages, online, maintain dignity and modesty. Maintain dignity and modesty. And what I mean by that is treat them like you would want another person to treat your own brother or sister in the same situation. So if you're okay with your sister going to Larry's dorm room and hanging out there till 2 a.m. watching Netflix, then, you know, that's where you're at. But if you're not okay with that, then why should you expect that that's okay for you to do? Okay? So, number one, do not be alone with them. Number two, interact with modesty and dignity. Think about your own brother and sister in those situations and how you would want them to be treated. That's how you treat them. And the last uh, tip I would give for this is family should be involved. And I would say number three is get family involved or a trusted friend that isn't going to um, enable you to do uh, wrong things or be in risky situations, but make sure somebody knows about it. And if you're not ready to tell your parents right away because of whatever your history is or, or your, you know, that's your point of reference, that's your decision, fine. Make sure somebody knows, whether it's a sibling or a cousin or a really close friend or a teacher or imam or mentor, an auntie, an uncle, whatever. Somebody should know because you don't want to put yourself in a situation where uh, it's unsafe or you end up, you know, if it's just left to the two people's vices, I'm talking about boys and girls, by the way, men and women, not just the ladies, uh, you can end up falling into a lot of trouble, okay? And lastly, be careful. Sometimes people cross the boundaries of modesty and damage the potential blessings of courtship and the future marriage. Don't make the excuse that, well, if we're going to get married anyways, like, all right, we're doing this, right? We, I have the, you know the engagement ring, we've got the wedding date. Since we're getting married anyways, let's mess around. Let's have sex. Remember that this can take away from the barakah of, of your marriage. And that's my um, my sharing on the premarital checklist. Uh, those were questions, constructs that come, came up a lot over the years. And I thought I'd kind of organize them for everybody and try to dispel some of these myths and uh, give my, my quick feedback. I hope it was useful. Thank you all for listening. In the next couple of shows, I'm having some amazing guests. I'm going to have Daniel Hakikachu, also known as the Muslim skeptic. We're going to talk about current sociocultural and political trends and what that means for the future of the Muslim community. I'm also going to be speaking to the founder of Purify Your Gaze, and we're going to be discussing unhealthy um, sexual addictions and pornography addictions. And uh, his organization serves the Muslim community for this specific need. So very excited about the upcoming guests. I hope you are too. And I'll catch you next time on Coffee with Kareem.